Hello, and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Aaron Spearin. Aaron is currently a customer experience architect at Verizon in Basking Ridge, New Jersey, where he's also working to improve the effectiveness of new product development processes. He has over 10 years of experience leading process improvement projects as a Six Sigma black belt and master black belt in the automotive, chemical, and semiconductor markets. Aaron has developed and delivered Lean Six Sigma training programs as a coach and independent consultant, and he's the host of the E6S Methods Lean Six Sigma podcast with Jacob Curian. Aaron, welcome and thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, uh, Tim. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Aaron, your E6S Methods podcast is a great resource for quality and reliability professionals, and I really recommend it. One of your recurring themes seems to be that the, the life of a quality practitioner is a lot different than what <laughs> uh, some people might expect. Right. What are some of the biggest differences between theory and practice in quality engineering that you've observed? Well, uh, well, thanks for the compliment on the uh, podcast. Uh, I'm definitely happy to have your endorsement. So, you know, there's everything would be great if everybody read from the same book, right? If everybody went through the same sort of training that quality engineers or Lean Six Sigma practitioners did. But the fact is that not everybody does. Everybody's right. in a organization, a full ecosystem of leaders and and different types you have finance people you have you have uh management you have engineers and everybody's read from a different book that they hold to be more true i'd say in a lot of ways so um right you know that's really the common different well i should say common different the real difference is where are we all coming from uh and so when we talk about quality engineering uh, we, we get a little bit heavy in the statistics. Um, for us, it's for us we consider that facts, right? Mm-hmm. And the and and we say, well, it's it's clear. You know, the facts are, are clear right here. So you look look at these statistics. Uh, why don't you want to change? Um, so uh, not yeah, everybody. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things. I think it's one of the things that really distinguishes quality professionals from maybe some other functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking. Maybe you know finance and accounting might be the exception, but you know quality is all about trying to um, use factual arguments with real data, right? Instead of just a lot of crazy opinions. Well, right, and uh, you know it's what, what the tough sell is is why is why is your truth any better than my truth? Uh, and and uh, opinions are. Uh, have equal weight and equal merit in an organization as fact. Um, so it's what's important and what we try to get to in Lean Six Sigma is to try to drive more of those uh, opinionated decisions out uh, and try to pull, push in more um, data-based decisions. Um, they're still opinion. They're still opinion-based, but hopefully those opinions are now based off of. Uh, quality engineering sort of data statistics, um, but what is true yeah. is not everybody has that appreciation. Um, not everybody wants to have that appreciation. There are plenty in the organization who are, are very happy to do things the way they've always done it. That's their comfort zone, 
And um, that's how you get office politics, really. The, the <laughs> entire sure. ecosystem is full of people with opinions, uh, and they come through with some negotiated deal, which may or may not be what uh, you as a quality engineer or black belt have decided uh, in your own mind is the best course of action uh, or enough. Sometimes right. that's been one of my own frustrations uh, is, is looking at a process that I've worked on and not being able to fix it, even though it's there. I know it's broken. It's there. All the data says so, and I, <laughs> I can't get anybody to listen to me. So Right. You know, Aaron, you've worked at big companies and you've consulted with smaller companies. Um, you know, it occurs to me that uh, how quality professionals work depends a lot on the size and maturity of the organization that they're in. Yeah, it can. And um, what, what I found, so, I've, you know, from big companies to small companies, so let's just give a, a scale. So small companies down to, you know, 70-person 70, 70 um machine shop that uh, is $10 million in revenue, a local machine shop, and, um, you know, $150 billion titan of the industry, which uh, Verizon is now. Mm-hmm. So there is still there is still that um, the politics issue and not everybody reading from the same book. So there's still that human nature that is pretty much prevalent in any business I've ever been because um, that's part of change management. So that's the hard part. Um, what is true about quality. Um, there are different depths of quality that may be required, depending on mm-hmm. where you are. Uh, some of it may be extremely data heavy, uh, where you can really exercise some statistical tools. Some of it may just be uh, just hands-on, uh, hands-on practice with some of, some of the basic, basic practices where you don't need to do a lot of statistics, but mm-hmm. um, maybe some um, best practices in, in gauging, best practices in inspection. Um, frankly, in the smaller companies, a lot of it is less based off of data, at least where I was mm-hmm. uh, in, in the machine shops, less based off of data and more based off of, of sort of the lean side, which is not necessarily um, quality engineering, but it is uh, with regards to improving things throughout the value stream, um, which is a large focus because uh, at the end of the day, everything is really about how are we going to stay in business? How are we going to, especially in a small business, how am I going to pay my employees uh, next week? Because everything is run very cash tight. And that's one of the real differences between a large and small business is the the time scale that you're dealing with to uh, make a real impact. Good point. Um, you know, if you've got to do any kind of change management at all, you've got to recognize the inertia, you know, that exists within the organization. Right. So, Aaron, it sounds like what you're saying is that you would like to see quality engineers learn a little more about lean and learn a little more about um, what are some other things that you think uh, should be emphasized when we uh, when we train quality professionals. Right. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what exactly is taught, say, in the um, college university curriculum for quality engineering. My background is more traditional engineering, chemical engineering. But uh, in Six Sigma training, we touch on some of these things a little bit, at least where I've uh, been given training and and given training myself. But uh, actually, let me back up, because one of the, for a black belt, there is is a phenomenon here where the, 
there could be a mistake for anybody who's going through black belt training who assigns the value of the tool based on how long we spend training that tool. So, <laughs> right. Interesting. So, for instance, uh, say a four-week black belt training, you may actually devote an entire week just to inferential statistics and uh, and even less time on some of the more uh, basic tools, maybe a fishbone diagram or a cypoc, hmm. some of those more basic tools, uh, or lean, right. for that matter, or let me just throw this in here, presentation skills, project management Ooh. skills, Good point. communication Good point. skills, right? Um, so we almost, we barely touch on these things. I think we take for granted that, oh, those, they, everybody knows how to present. Everybody knows how to communicate. Everybody mm. knows how to manage a project. And I think that's a false assumption. On top of that, we spend a ton of time. Well, I shouldn't say a ton. I mean, it's about a semester's worth of inferential statistics crammed into one week. So it is, it is, mm. a, it is tough, uh, you know, learning hypotheses, testing. It is tough for a new new person not been exposed to it to really grasp these things but we spend a lot more time on those things not because they are the most applicable applicable to all situations but because they actually are more difficult to teach and more difficult to comprehend so if somebody looks at the syllabus and says wow i'm spending a week on inferential statistics this must be the most important thing it's actually not true (laughs) Um, most most often, the most effective tools are the softer skills, uh, which are the ones that we, we teach less. So, in my opinion, if we could change the change the message somehow, I mean, obviously, you need to still you need to still uh, devote the time necessary to teach properly, but at least change the message. You're going to learn these things; are going to take a lot of time. Um, but in, especially in a business process like Verizon, which mm. is just heavy on, on transactional processes, these heavier statistics, uh, and I say that t- a little bit tongue-in-cheek because mm-hmm. to a real statistician, it's just scratching the surface. But to right. the, the regular, the layperson who comes into this class, these are considered heavy statistics. And uh, they may only be applicable you know, five, one to 5% of the time, uh, where the most part, we're just trying to remove waste from the process work that we're doing that is not generating any value. Um, and that's where the lean tools sort of come in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Again, I, I see quality professionals being involved in change management. So their, uh, their ability to, to lead projects uh, and to communicate effectively are really key to their success. That makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Aaron, you were telling me that you're working on a book called It Is Six Sigma Right for Me? Right. Which sounds like kind of a provocative title. Are you saying that not everyone is cut out for a career in Six Sigma? So, yeah, so let me let me back up a little bit. So it started off as a, a, a sister book. Well, there's actually two. It's supposed to be a, a two books side by side. One of them is Six Sigma Right for Me, and that's for the practitioner looking to maybe start a career, thinks maybe this will be an advancement for them. And then there's a sister book that I hope to get to as well, which is, uh, is Six Sigma right for me? Or is Six Sigma, I think I'm going to change the title to, is Six Sigma right for us? Which ah. is from the, from the business point of view. Say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I'm a, an executive about to embark on this journey uh, f- and put forward a lot of funds to some level of deployment do I have the fortitude 
to make this successful because it mm -hmm. really is two sides of the same coin. So uh, let me start with the is Six Sigma right for me. This is, do I think that Six Sigma is not cut out for everyone in terms of a career? Uh, I do think that's true uh, in a manner. So it kind of sounds weird from, some, from somebody who's decided that, yes, Six Sigma is the right thing for my career. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd say, hey, you know, it's good for me, but you guys stay away. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> I don't need any more competition. Right. <laughs> you got to close the door behind you. Yeah. Right, exactly. So what, what is true is um, what I believe is what we teach in the class, what we promote in all the materials, uh, what uh, you may read in some of the books, just talks on some exactly what we talked about in with the quality engineering um, mm -hmm. in the first first segment of the show is that we're talking more about the tactics of how to use certain tools, but we forget about the human side of it. Mm -hmm. And for some people, they think, "Hey, I want to be a black. I'm just getting out of college. I want to be a black belt or green belt. Put that on my resume. It's going to be a fast career path uh, to senior leader." Um, this may or may not be true. It really depends on your work ethic. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, Lean Six Sigma, quality engineering, all these things can be great tool set for that go-getter, right? Um, but not necessarily going to be a f career path forever. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I say a full career, a rotation in Lean Six Sigma or quality engineering, yes, maybe. For some people, I shouldn't say that. I should back up. For everybody, I believe, in, that is going into business, I do believe it is a good rotation to have, to have that understanding. And, and I'd almost go as far as to say it's necessary. Um, but you are in a change management role. There's a few things that happens that could lead to burnout. And that's especially in the Lean Six Sigma arena where basically your job is to go to where things are not working well mm -hmm. and try to get others to do things differently based off of a, a framework that only you understand and have to somehow convince other people who don't understand it to do things quote unquote in a better way. And that's right. kind of a tough thing to do year in year out. And it, it's, it's tiresome, but nobody really tells you this. Nobody tells you this before you get into it. Uh, and nobody tells you what to look for in an organization uh, so that you can really see, okay, Maybe I'm interested in Six Sigma, but am I interested in Six Sigma here? Because this organization uh, is not ready for change. And so what I try to do is go, th go through the book as I'm trying to write it. And writing a book is a whole different science that uh, uh, <laughs> far more difficult than I, than I thought it would be. And I like to write. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one thing to write a blog post. It's another thing to right. actually um, stretch that out into chapters and an entire book. You know, Aaron, as, as you were talking, I was kind of remembering something that we've told ourselves for a long time, which is that quality is everyone's job. Right. And it seems like everyone could benefit from some Six Sigma training. But mm -hmm. I agree with what you're saying. I think there's a, um, I think people have a misunderstanding about what their life is going to be like after they become a green belt or a black mm -hmm. belt. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I think, I think a certain amount of training is useful for everybody, but at the same time, I think, I think you're right. I think some people have a, 
kind of a misunderstanding of what uh, what the work of a of a, a black belt or a, a master black belt looks like. Well, at some at some level, you know, as far as the business is concerned, the uh, the the magic or the promise of what a Lean Six Sigma black belt can do for them uh, may it was oversold. I mean, the, there's been a boom. There was a boom in Lean Six Sigma. I mean, consultants made a ton of money off of it um, with, you know, and, and with a lot of companies feeling like maybe they got um, shortchanged a little bit because it didn't give them the benefit that they were looking for. Right. What they what they failed to really uh, accept or or capitalize on was their role in that success. Uh, I've have been in companies where they said, well, we got that black belt, so put that black belt to work. You're Send right. that black belt off to fix my company. And they give somebody <laughs> with almost no authority uh, who's out there a bit on an island to you know, work their magic. And right. um, that can be – that some – there are superstars out there who can do that. And and uh, I think that those are the people who are really cut out for Lean and Six Sigma and probably should go into mm. – independent consultant because they know how to they know how to do the salesmanship they know how to get their stakeholders involved they know how to get people to follow them they're true leaders who happen mm-hmm. to have a tool set that is also fit for uh, lean six sigma and data analysis and quality engineering so that is a unique person there yeah so they sort of have the personality already but six sigma gives them the tools the language you know, to be able to, to drive the necessary changes. I, I absolutely. My my whole take that what I've learned from all of this is a superstar is going to be a superstar. That somehow follows them with birth. That's just, that's their grit, how they grew up. Mm-hmm. That's their work ethic. They're going to do well. And if they have Lean Six Sigma, they can do well, hopefully, in a, a new arena with a, a new uh, level of understanding for what's good for business, what's good in processes, and mm-hmm. they do see things in a in a way that's different than those who have not yet gone through the training. You know, Aaron, we've been talking a lot about change management. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have their own stories about how they're trying to improve quality within an established organization. Do you have mm-hmm. any suggestions for these folks, um, particularly how they can improve their effectiveness? Sure. Yeah. So, um, there is, there's a couple, there's one thing that I call the black belt's burden and there's probably <laughs> somebody else probably has a name for it. So there, there are a couple different things. One, the black belt's burden is if you are a black belt, you are put in place to look through the worst parts of a business. Um, and what this can result in is overexposure to only the bad parts of a business, which means you can get exceptionally frustrated and even curious as to how in the world is this company making money because all I ever see is processes that are incapable, uh, products that are getting returned, uh, Mm -hmm. warranty problems. It's like, how in the world are we ever making money? And that itself can be overwhelming, uh, just too much negative. So I'd say take a step back, try to look at, get a broader perspective your company is making money, so maybe you're not exposed to all of the good. So take a step back and realize there is a lot of good, too, uh, if you are in that kind of role to help stave off the burnout. And another one is accept that you won't hit perfection, hmm. that in any given program, any given project, there will always be some 
at least in my opinion, there's always going to be some money that you've left on the table. Bask in those minor victories. Um, follow, uh, go to where some of the easier routes are, right? Mm-hmm. So let me, let me back up on this. I wouldn't go head to head, you know, with like a being completely bullish about the changes that need to be made. Sometimes you need to do that, but sometimes you just need to open up a little bit to get your foot in the door so that you can show people what's going on. So a lot of it starts small. And then as you work through, as you get some of the, as you get some of the backing of your stakeholders and other people on your side, then you can start to work your magic from inside rather than trying to push it on other people. That's really all about change management again. So, right. And then what I'll say, just be a value provider, you know, and part of how you gain that, gain that support is by being a point person or a uh, person that can help other people do what they want to do and, and help them look good. You know, you have a unique set of skills as a quality engineer, as a lean Six Sigma black belt that a lot of people don't understand uh, Mm -hmm. that are very useful and you'll be called upon to help people out. And that can be a very, very powerful inroads within the business. You know, Aaron, you touched on something that I find pretty interesting, and this it's this idea of are you is a quality person more effective as an insider, you know, as mm. an employee, or are they more effective as an outsider, maybe an external <laughs> cons- cons- consultant? And you've been on both sides of that street. What do you think is the, I mean, I don't know, what, what's your opinion? Do you think you're you really can be more effective as an insider than as an outsider. That's, that's interesting. Um, what I find comical in my career is I can be uh, an external consultant, then get hired by the company that I was consulting with and then no longer be qualified for the stuff that I was consulting them for. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. So it's this strange phenomenon that if if you are external and you are getting paid larger amounts of money, then you have more credibility. Yeah. I see this. I see this all the time. So often, so that it's like it's two different sides. So uh, as an external, you'll you'll gain the support of leadership simply because they paid the extra money to have you be there. Right. However you are less effective at making actual change. And most often the external consultant uh, consulting roles have to partner with somebody internally in order to truly affect that change. So you have to be smart on who you partner with, somebody who is um, a respected change agent who can help um, move, move the needle within the organization, or you need to be that person within your organization. But an external consultant usually isn't, in one place long enough to be that person. So I say you get more credibility externally, but you are more effective internally. And what's, what's their stake? What is the stake that an external person has in the long-term successful, you know, implementation of these new ideas? So I guess that's part of the, the beauty and the curse of being an external consultant mm. the beauty is you can walk away from a frustrating account that uh, <laughs> maybe doesn't want to take your recommendations right. and you can say thank you if you ever need me again I'll be back um, uh, so unfortunately there isn't one um, 
uh, other than whatever 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 level of that affects your brand. Hmm. Um, but uh, a lot of consultancies don't last past the we recommend you do this. Uh, hmm. Well, I I, sh- I shouldn't say that about all consultancies, but the ones that I've witnessed, they don't make it much further past. We recommend you do this. And the execution almost always falls on the organization themselves, which strangely enough is exactly where most organizations need the help. Good point. uh, In my opinion. Good point. Yeah. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that it was Freud who was, Freud was talking about psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. and somebody said, I don't get it. Um, People are paying you to listen to them describe their dreams. You know, what do they need you for? They could have the same conversation with a friend or a family member. And Freud supposedly said, it doesn't work unless you pay for it. Yes. And I think the same kind of situation applies with uh, some external consultants that are some, the the way some businesses deal with external consultants. So they, they do tend to give them more credibility precisely because they're paying for it. Yeah, and I think it. I think it is even true if you are an external consultant and you uh, say, "Well, I'll, I'll do this one for free, just so you know what it's like." Hmm. Uh, often, free is great. Businesses love to have you in there for free. Uh, but again, uh, the value of free is is zero to businesses. And I've seen businesses um, who uh, take advantage of like the the local um, the local reimbursements, like so manufacturing businesses say in in the state of Connecticut when they bring in a consultant from you know the specific um, uh, non uh, nonprofit mm-hmm. consultant um, and there is no stake for the business owner because it's all paid for by the state uh, you turn around a couple months later and all the gains that they've gained are gone they're just gone hmm. because they really had no stake in the in the long-term sustainability of that solution, uh, and there are a number of different lessons from consultants who don't consultants who don't charge enough, or consultants who give away too much for free, uh, for that being sort of a proxy for the credibility of that group. So there's a lesson for consultants: right. charge charge more. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very good advice. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tim. Thank you again for having me. That was Aaron Spearin, Master Black Belt, Quality Consultant, and Podcast Host. For more information about Aaron and E6S Methods, go to www.e6s-methods.com. Or check out his E6S Methods podcast at iTunes and Stitcher Radio. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks for listening.